this you just don't get, huh? Lord, let me know if you got us. Preaching about profit. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to the goddess. Hello and welcome to the Strong Women Power Hour, your podcast to empower, encourage, support, and educate you on your path through womanhood. Thank you to our loyal listeners and to any new listeners. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to get our upcoming and past shows on empowerment and other things in womanhood. Uh, A lot of great topics we've covered and a lot of great topics coming up and guests. I'm your host and women's empowerment specialist, Kelly Hickey. I'm the director and founder of Strong Women Co., a multi-service company that helps women be their strongest, happiest, and healthiest selves. You can check us out uh, and check out our programs and our products at strongwomenco.com. And please follow us on Facebook and Instagram for daily doses of inspiration and motivation. Uh, we're putting things out every day, uh, and that is an act of love, a gift to you. And if you would like more support uh, on this beautiful, challenging path of womanhood, join our online tribe. The Strong Women Co. Tribe is a free tribe of amazing women all helping each other along. No woman is an island. And I can say I really, really felt that last week when I was having a day, I tell you. I was having a day and I uh I just reached out to the tribe and it's like you know said that I was uh having all these feels I was having a what am I doing with my life feelings kind of day um and I got so much support from everybody uh it filled up my cup and I truly appreciate that and that supports there for you as well uh come join us just a Facebook group you can look for it on um Facebook and Strong Woman Co and you'll find us there today I'm so pumped to share this powerful conversation with you it's a conversation with the powerhouse goddess Trista Hendren my goodness she is so brilliant and hardworking. It's about her latest book, How to Live Well Despite Capitalist Patriarchy. What a title, right? I love it. Um, We talk about her book and so much more. And if you check out our Facebook and Instagram, you'll see an opportunity to win your very own copy of Trista's book. Woohoo! It's a really good book. Um, as women, we need to realize the systems that are set up against us, and this book is a huge help in figuring all that out. Uh, now, there's, this convo may sound a little different to our loyal listeners, since we had to record it uh, a little differently this time around with uh, Trista being in Norway, but I think you'll love it just the same. Uh, you may hear some rumbles, um, a dog barking or even edit that I replaced uh, edit that uh, I replaced the swear word with another another word uh, in our convo but uh, that's all part of it this is just a real conversation between two women talking about uh, real things everything from women's spirituality to the capitalist patriarchal uh, systems and everything that goes along with that and I'm so excited to share this with you so we'll take one nice big breath together Gathering our whole selves up and letting it out. <sighs> All right, let's do this. So, 
So I am so excited to have the amazing Trista Hendren here, uh, author of many books, including The Girl God and How to Live Well Despite Capitalist Patriarchy. Um, Trista is an Ariadne sister of mine, meaning we both went on uh, the goddess pilgrimage uh, in Crete with uh, Carol Christ. Um, so that's something that's cool um, and something that, you know, it's a very unique and beautiful experience. So I'm touched to have her on the show. Welcome, Krista. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. So Trista is calling us from uh, Norway right now, but you are uh, originally from uh, the States. Was it is it originally from Portland? Uh, yep, I'm a Portland, Oregon girl. I lived there pretty much my whole life until I moved here, aside from one crazy year in Florida. So it <laughs> sounds like another book, One Crazy Year in Florida. That's another yeah, time. I, I probably could write several books about that year. So. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I would definitely love to read it. Um, so uh, Trista, just tell our, our listeners a little bit uh, about yourself. And, um, you know, I guess you've got a bit of a, 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 a big uh, print, printing press of sorts uh, happening with you have so many books coming out. What do you want our listeners to know uh, about you? Well, I'm very eclectic, so <laughs> that could be a long answer, but I'll try to give you the short answer is that uh, I came from a Muslim and a Christian background and kind of had like a radical revisioning of uh, my entire life about a decade ago uh, with my daughter when she was born. And uh, basically she just couldn't identify with the male God and she kind of called me on my sh to be are we okay to swear? <laughs> I have a bit of a potty mouth. So, um, but, but, you know, I didn't really think it through that much. The effect, I tried to raise her as a feminist, but, um, you know, it's kind of hard to do that in, within patriarchal religion. And especially I was trying to do interfaith. So I was trying to do both religions, <laughs> which is sort of me like, oh, let's just capture everything and not miss anything. So, um, yeah, in that case, she basically inspired the book, which was my first one in the series called The Girl God. And and then I did two more children's books and then kind of branched out into other things. I always have like probably at least four books that I'm working on. So I've done workbooks and anthologies and um, kind of a memoir of sorts. And then uh, the, the recent one, How to Live Well, is sort of a I don't know. I just felt like a book that I would have would have helped me, you know, because Nobody tells you all these things about, you know, it's like you're blamed for not getting it right, but there's all these secret rules that you don't know about. And uh, I think we could all probably shave a decade off of our lives if we learned what some of them at least were. And kind of, if we were a bit, I don't want to say that we're dishonest with each other, but a lot of times we don't talk about all these things and we just kind of feel like personal failures. And um, the truth is that we're really in a, system that was designed for us to fail and not succeed. And so I think finding ways, creative ways around that to live your best life anyway, and without being like fruity and, you know, in some alternative universe, because there's a lot of uh, new age thought and, you know, change your thoughts and affirmations. And, you know, I do some of that, but it also needs to be grounded in reality. So that was my hope for that one. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's kind of the uh, I love a how-to guide. <laughs> I think it's it's it because it, it, that's what it is, and and I kind of forgot about the title. And uh, when I was thinking, I was like, it's really like a how-to guide to you know keep your feet on the ground while still kind of uh, trying to be true to yourself. And then I remembered the title, and I'm like, of course, it's how to live well. Uh, but I, I I'm with you. I'm in a similar kind of way where 
I'm obviously, you know, I, I, I spirit, my spirituality is a big part of my life and connecting to that and, and the whole um, uh, feminine word for God is, is something new, but extremely powerful, uh, empowering for me. Uh, but I am also kind of, I think like yourself, like a truth teller. Like mm -hmm. I, I work best in truth and um, often, um, and I understand, and, and you talk about it in your book too, I understand that some women are in denial of the patriarchy mm -hmm. and the rules and how hurtful it is to us. Um, <laughs> oh, puppy dogs. My dog <laughs> always works with me and then I tried to put her outside and she was not having that, but now I think she senses it. <laughs> My daughter and her friends come downstairs for something, so I apologize. My dog does that all the time, especially if I'm doing like a Facebook Live. It's like, oh, hi, hi Daisy, thanks. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think it is important to uh, to speak frankly, and you and you do talk about that um, in, in your in your book of um, uh, let's let's be honest and let's not sugarcoat it um, that we are in the, these systems, and both capitalism and patriarchy are two systems that are not great for people. No. Right. Because the patriarchy is also not good for men. Right. Like, no. they, sure, it gives them power, but it also doesn't allow them to be full human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, of course, capitalism built on a constant growth model. What's on a constant growth model? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and of course, exploitive of earth and people. Um, and uh, um, not to mention, of course, the different kinds of stratifications of, of, of race and gender and geography and all those things that come into that. So um, uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of the book uh, was on page uh, 12, because I think it really set the tone. And I'll just uh, uh, read it out uh, a little bit. Um, yeah, this page 12, uh, Sonia Johnson wrote, the truth is to displease men, to disobey them is still deadly for women. But the truth, is, truth also is that only when we stop obeying men do we truly begin to live. Many women are still brainwashed by the lies of the patriarchy and can't even see their own chains. I believe that the key to breaking free is to learn to be as honest as possible with the situation we are in. Often this can be painful. Andrea Dworkin wrote, many women I think resist feminism because it is agony to be full, fully conscious of the brutal misogyny which permeates culture, society, and all personal relationships. But what is better, living in denial or finding a solution? Are women just supposed to have crappy lives indefinitely because men decided so thousands of years ago? F that. <laughs> I, just, I, I usually do curse, but I, I'm going to have to bleep them out. Uh, back to the reading. I, I, I decided after my tumor scare that I'm going to have the best life I can whatever years I have left. I think we all should do that, in fact. In fact, we owe it to our foremothers. They sacrificed a lot so that future generations of women could have better lives. We must begin to claim those lives. Even if you are currently severely limited by patriarchal chains, you, you can still begin to gradually change your life and reclaim a little more of yourself each day. The important thing is to begin to acknowledge where you are. Uh, there was so much in there. Uh, you know, the foremothers piece. I've been thinking a lot about my foremothers the last week, uh, just for things that have coming up for me and, and, uh, and what their daily realities were like, you know, and just the lack of choice, the lack of agency. Uh, this has been coming up a lot with my clients as well, where sometimes it almost feels, um, I'm almost even paralyzed by choice. Mm -hmm. and, the, and these are the modern day realities of a woman, you know, because we are in, we're, we're trailblazers, right? Because, you know, uh, other women had their life laid out for them, you know, at a very early age, and we have all of these choices. So when you think about our foremothers and what we owe to them, what do you think about? 
Well, I don't know if you've read the anthology about the foremothers of the uh, women's spirituality movement that Marion Dexter and uh, I think Vicki Noble um, edited. If you haven't, you should add it to your, your list. And I believe yes, Carol is also in that book. Oh, yeah. um, so I was thinking specifically about them. Um, but I also was thinking a lot about both my, especially my uh, grandmothers when I was writing this book and you know, all the things, especially my um, maternal grandmother went through and, you know, she had a very difficult relationship with my grandpa. And I think, you know, I have a very strong bond with her because I was also married to an alcoholic. And, you know, I think we tend to like repeat these patterns from our uh, families and foremothers that maybe sometimes are great, sometimes they're not so healthy. But I think that that was part of her gift too, was like, allowing me to see her realities and break free of them. And I think she would be very happy to see uh, where I am now. <laughs> that's, that's really cool to think about. I've, I've, I've lately been uh, thinking a lot about my grandmother and great grandmother and, and all of the, um, just, just how hard their lives have been. And even going back in, in the great, great grandmothers and even, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, not being able to say no, I feel like, women still can't say no. And I mean, say no to their husbands. I mean, even in your own body and, and, uh, just kind of, um, uh, the rape culture in, in our brains and how we're supposed to service men and treat them like gods and Kings. And you talk about that in the book too. Um, and how this is kind of like, it's, it's brand new territory for us to have this identity. But, um, I, I got a few messages last week when I was doing some deep soul work to help with my endometriosis. Mm -hmm. and, and I did a, a, a my own little mini ritual um, kind of connect into Aphrodite because that's uh, what I was reading. It's like, you know, Aphrodite, what do I need to do <laughs> to help my endometriosis? Because I know, I know my I know my body tells the story. I, I know all these things, and uh, that was was like, you know, um, forgive uh, your all the line of women, right? Because we, we we hurt each other often yes. because that's what the patriarchy makes us do because we have such little control that women often then exert over control on children or, you know, it can manifest in various ways. So I had been thinking um, a lot about um, the day-to-day -day realities of our, of our foremothers and it just puts a fire in my belly, mm -hmm. you know, to do even more. I'm like, Oh, that's right. I got to do it. I got to do it for Nan and great grandmother and all these women that I hadn't even met. Uh, but that also brings me to one of, in one part in your book, you talk about your line of women. Mm -hmm. I'm the daughter of, you know, yes. and listing all of yeah. that. And do you remember doing that on the pilgrimage? You know what? I don't actually. No? I don't. I, we probably did, but we, we did so many different things on the pilgrimage. And that was something that has been a go-to of mine, like at different women's circles and different, you know, mostly Portland. But um, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't, but I, we also, um, we did a lot of really cool things. <laughs> no, every day was <laughs> not just not stayed with me that much because it was you know one that I knew. So I don't know. Yeah, you, you probably didn't stand out to you because you had done it before. And even yeah. though I, I had done women's circles, it had yeah. never been it had never come up before. This whole like I am. Yeah, the I think the off. first because I remember the first time I did it for sure in Portland, and it was like, and my daughter was actually with me then too, but she was only I think about six. And, uh, and it was very, very moving. And every time, I guess it's moving. But yeah, I don't, I don't specifically from the pilgrimage. Or I might have missed that because we did take my daughter. I brought my 12-year-old daughter. So That's amazing. Yeah. We took a few days just 
like to ourselves to go to the beach because it was a little bit overwhelming sometimes for her. So it's a lot. It's a lot. To honor her pace also and, and also mine because I tend to be introverted. So sometimes it gets to be overwhelming. Like I'm not used to being around like women constantly constant. So I have to kind of recharge or I kind of go a little <laughs> like <laughs> I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm totally yeah. with you. <laughs> I actually, uh, when I was in, um, on, on the pilgrimage, um, uh, I got hit by a motorcycle, like walking across the street in Ayos Nicholas. I got hit by a motorcycle. And this is how funny. I, I knew I wanted to take a day off, but I couldn't justify it. And I got hit by a motorcycle. And my first thought was, well, now I can take tomorrow off. <laughs> like, because it was a lot. And I think honoring, yeah. your, honoring your own pace is something else you talk yeah. about. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's intense. It's, uh, I mean, it's amazing, but yeah, it's, it's, it is intense. So you yeah. need to kind of check in with yourself too. Exactly. Exactly. To, to get the most out of it. Um, but you know, honoring our, our own pace is not something that the capitalist patriarchy allows no. for, right? So it is an act of resistance mm-hmm. to even yeah. say yourself the, my last podcast I put out was understanding burnout because I had been, oh, yeah, I saw that one. Uh-huh. Like, and, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, aware person, you know, I, I really try to put my rest in, I, I'm doing my, my anti-capitalist, anti-patriarchy things all the time, but then there's just this reality of contemporary life. And yeah, life I, is uh, never ending. Right? This, Especially this, week, like this week is crazy because the end of the school year and both my kids have all these things like every single day and it's like, I'm ready for the week to be over and it's only Wednesday. No, I, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely familiar with that. Um, <laughs> When uh, I'm, I'm guessing you had a fire in your belly to, to talk about all of uh, all of these things, and that's where the book came from. Um, you also talk about reclaiming yourself. Um, um, I think it was uh, stop following the damn rules, which which yeah. And you talked about the first rule of living well under capitalist patriarchy is that there are new rules, and I think that's so so good and so right on. You know, uh, um, and, and again, it's like that honoring of yourself and that you are. You're gonna, you are gonna get burnt out, even like when you're doing your best uh, kind of intentions, and it's kind of the reality of um, um, noticing yourself, no, knowing yourself, honoring yourself, and then um, not, not, you know, crapping on yourself if you did push yourself too far or if you did make a mistake. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like growing up, especially for me, I grew up Christian and then I converted Muslim later. I actually felt more freedom within the Muslim religion than the Christian, although I was raised in a very fundamentalist type of Christian faith. So uh, there were so many rules and it was like, I felt like I was always wrong and always a sinner and, you know, had something to repent of or, you know, so I think the idea, like in my back to going to Florida, that was when my first, uh, I first began to actually see things because I actually went to go to um, a Southern Baptist college to become a minister. And once I actually saw the Bible and studied it culturally, historically, linguistically, it was like, this is kind of just all made up crap, you know, like, um, no offense to people that still believe it. But I mean, that was kind of my takeaway that, you know, I had been so steadfast about following every single thing the way I was supposed to do it. And, you know, it's not exactly what it had been presented as really. And I think a lot of people too don't even read the Bible. So it's, Mm. and to dig into it really deep, it's kind of mind blowing in a lot of ways, especially when you look at violence against women in the Bible and all sorts of things that it's, it's not really, the best book. It's, I wouldn't say it's something you should live your life by. 
mean, there are certainly passages that are inspiring and, um, you know, I'm glad that I have read the Bible and I've told my children that I hope they will read the Bible, but I, I wouldn't say it's a book to live your life by. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's just folklore, right? Like, like any, any kind of, uh, stories mm -hmm. and it's just so political what stories made it in, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, and this is the kind of, um, uh, when I was first dating my husband who was raised, um, uh, in, in Canada, in Newfoundland, it was called, it's Pentecost, but it's very similar oh, to okay. yeah. practice. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, although he had kind of like left the church for the most part before he met me, we were talking on the phone one night. And uh, he said something about believing in the Bible. And like, we were, we were falling for each other really hard. <laughs> and then I was just like, you mean you believe the words in the Bible are truth and like actual word of God? And he's like, yeah, of course. And I was like, Arr! like, it was like, <laughs> no, red flag is an understatement. And um, uh, because it didn't demonstrate critical thought to me, because this yeah. is a very, very smart man, geophysicist, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, geophysicist, geologist, like, it's like, do you really believe the or it's only 6,000 years old. Um, it's like, well, no, of course not. I don't believe that. It's like, well, you know, uh, and this is kind of the, the, um, uh, how, the stories that people can make okay um, right. uh, and relax so that they can still li live in the patriarchal kind of idea of religion. But uh, I said to him at that time, uh, I was like, well, honestly, like, I, I really like you. I, I love talking to you. I love that we were just expanding each other's minds. And then I, I said, I was like, but if, if you sincerely believe in every word of the Bible as the word of God and something that you should live your life by, like, I, 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 gotta, I have to end it. <laughs> and yeah. he was like, Lord. And he talks often about that point. And so we yeah. on the phone and the next day he was just like, holy crap. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, if she's willing to walk away from this because of this, you know, I really need to re-examine. Yeah, well, that sounds like a really good conversation because... I think a lot of people need to have that conversation because I think they don't realize how detrimental the Bible is to women. And, you know, religion is really complicated because it's, it's not just like what you believe. It's also your family, it's your community. So leaving it is, is difficult and painful and it, it takes courage. It's not something for, you know, everybody, not a lot of people maybe will stay and just say nothing and kind of keep their opinions to themselves so that they can keep their community. But, um, that's just not something that I can really do well. <laughs> no, no, truth tellers. We're not, so, we're not so good at that. To be quiet? No, never. Not, not an option, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're bringing up something else, too, of uh, you, what you talk about working through childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And uh, my husband and other people who had grown up in that, that church and other churches mm. um, had been traumatized in various ways. Um, There's a lot. Spiritually traumatized, I'm talking about even besides, you know, the more kind of like uh, well-known uh, uh, sexual abuse that often happens. Uh, but the kind of like the spiritual, um, like that in your head, like my husband talks about, uh, it was, he, Jesus knew his thoughts and was judging his thoughts. And like that is like a circle to drive yourself crazy. And that is just like one of the traumas of kind of just like, you know constantly performing and not being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. But I love that you talked about um, uh, the, the importance of working through childhood trauma. And uh, you, you, there's so many parts of this book that I'm like, I've done that. I read this. It was like, definitely, I think, I think we're tapping into an awakening um, for uh, people, particularly women who've mm -hmm. kind of happened upon a lot of these things ourselves. But um, what some of my most uh, deepest healing sessions have been when I've like taken the younger version of me just kind of in my mm -hmm. mind's eye and meditative and like put her in my lap 
and like mm-hmm. held her and kissed her forehead and told her yeah. she was doing so good and I'm so proud of her. Oh my God, I could cry mm-hmm. talking about it. Yeah. And, and like that has been like some, re- and, and I call that now, especially talking to my clients, like mothering the self, mm-hmm. you know, like giving that kind of like love to yourself as an adult that you weren't, you didn't get or, or whatever happened. You, you know, we all, we all reach adulthood with unmet, unmet needs, right? Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially being a mother myself now and, and realizing, I think one of the most healing things about that was, was uh, kind of letting my own mom off the hook, because I think we have this very unrealistic expectation of mothers in the West. And, um, and I say specifically the West, because I've seen how it operates in other countries where it's more communal and there's more help. And if mom's not available, you have five aunties that you can go to that hug you. So I think it's very isolating being a mother in the West. And it's, it's, it's another game that is impossible to win because you're always blamed as the mother. If something's wrong, it's the mother's fault, you know, like, and and I know a lot of people have valid complaints also, but I think it's really important to recognize that our mothers are only human also. And when we realize that we can give ourselves more grace also, um, because being a mom is hard and uh, it's, it's very hard. And, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to do something wrong. Yeah. So also being able to mother yourself that way and, and show love and compassion to yourself that way um, as a child Um I think it's invaluable. I mean, I think it's one of the best life skills you could have as an adult. Yeah. Well, and I have a three-year-old Violet, light of my life. Um, and one of my prime things I want to teach her is emotional regulation of herself. Mm-hmm. And like, I got that when I was maybe 29. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, I was like, oh, I can emotionally regulate myself, you know, um, and don't need other people. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, not that, you know, she doesn't get an immense amount of love. <laughs> well, three is a hard age. Yeah. It's wonderful. I'm not getting much rest right now. No, no. It's uh, amazing that you're reading any books. I don't think I read much before my, both my kids were five. Well, like, like yourself, I'm a speed reader. So I, yeah. and, 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 and I, did, I do need my, my brain needs to work like, like, like yourself as well. But, uh, and you mentioned also, um, uh, you know, uh, being easier on our mothers. And, and we talked a little bit about the lack of options and agency and education mm-hmm. that our, our, our mothers and foremothers had comparatively to what we have at our fingertips now, mm-hmm. thanks to, you know, thanks to them and all the fighting and that, that got us and just so we could go to universities. Like I'm in my university radio station right now. And when this was first mm-hmm. open, women weren't allowed to go here. You know, mm-hmm. that was, that was like 1950. It wasn't like all yeah. that long ago. Um, and so I think about that and I think about when I was doing my work last week of kind of connecting to, you know, my, my women's line. Um, and I, I, I was, I, I brought everyone in and buy big mama heart and mm-hmm. was like, you come into here, here, you know, because we're all little children really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you come into my heart. Um, and I have had so much privilege and opportunity to do like free time. My grandmother didn't know what free time was leisure no. time. That's hilarious. She had nine, nine mouths to feed. Um, so I feel like there's with this privilege comes a responsibility. What I love, it's, it's like what um, uh, I believe it was Christian Northrup talked about, and you mentioned in your book, when we heal ourselves, we're, we're healing yeah. those, those lineage of our, um, of our line backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, I think, I don't think anyone could say it better than her. I really recommend her book. Um, it was really helpful um, to me. I actually read it, I think, the right before my mom came to visit here and I, I was trying to finish it's kind of long trying to finish it right before and it's just mother-daughter wisdom but I mean it's a beautiful book and and I think you know 
there's a lot of work to be done really with the mother-daughter wound because it's just kind of set up that we're kind of at at odds with each other <laughs> and it's you know it's different between mothers and daughters like uh, i have a son and two stepsons and it's the relationships are not as close with the boys i, I would i wish that they were but there's something about females the way they bond so we're closer, but we also fight a lot more. <laughs> into, but, you know, I think some of those things you just have to work through, especially my daughter's a teenager. So she's working through a lot of things on her own and a lot of hormones and everything. So just uh, I think every stage of life, whether you're dealing with your mother or your daughter, you're you're helping yourself in some ways too, and understanding yourself better. Mm. And allowing yourself more grace because you know one thing that struck me when you were talking about just the studio is like it kind of boggles my mind when I think about just how you know it wasn't that long ago we really had almost no rights <laughs> and I think a lot of us myself included beat ourselves up like why am I not doing better or further along than I want to on all this because I'm constantly like working through my stuff but there's it's actually amazing that we're doing as well as we are because totally you know, agree. we're working through hundreds if thousands. thousands of years of conditioning and trauma and you know all these things and it's hard to break through i mean in some ways like i talk to i have two best friends that we chat like all day long every day basically on messenger and you know it's like oh, i lost my train of thought but um Oh, I know what I was going to say, that we sometimes say like, oh, it'd be easier just not to be woke, you know, that um, we sometimes we envy the women that are just like kind of just ignoring everything that's wrong in the world. But then I'm always like, no, actually, it's better that we're woke and our lives are richer for it, but it does sometimes make them harder. And it's not always convenient, especially socially, especially if you're trying to raise your kids um, in a certain way, they're still going to school. And cause here I had to homeschool my daughter, but here you can't really do that. So um, school is not always fun because we're very nonconformist. And um, this is a country that likes conformity. So. <laughs> so yeah, which is good in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, it's very ordered. Everybody's always on time, but it's, it's, it's just different, you know? So it's like, you have to kind of figure out like, where's our place here? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and you talked about like uh, so much conditioning, thousands of years of conditioning. And I think that uh, the patriarchy, um, the, the conditioning we've gotten from the patriarchy and how to relate to each other as women is, is extremely confusing. And I, I can say personally, I didn't know that women could have relationships that weren't catty mm -hmm. until I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. Right. Because that's like, if you want to look at, um, you know, uh, okay, sure. My own unhealthy kind of relationships with familial, you know, people, but, uh, when I was younger, but, and then, uh, just like what we're seeing on the media and in, yeah. and in books and all these things that, um, we just like, even when I was trying to find a TV show for me and Violet to sit and relax and watch together, where like the only positive mother daughter show I could find was Gilmore girls. Like, yeah. and, and that's like, yeah. it. that is yeah. it. And you want to look at like, I can't believe I've actually got a running list and an insane number of um, uh, movies and shows on it now, but of how many movies, children's movies, where the mother is killed or is yeah. dead and yeah. absent. And it's, of course, it's because the patriarch, because it's men writing these stories right. and they yeah. don't know how to write 
mother-daughter things uh or don't think about it or don't think that or often the mother's death is like the um catalyst in the story or whatever but anyway we still don't get to see positive or you know uh any kind of positive (laughs) story so we don't we and if you see it if you can't see it you can't be it and it was through uh it was through my uh women's circles uh, and that I finally was like, cause I was very on guard because I had had, you know, several traumatic, uh, experiences with friends and family members and my mother. So that I was just like shell shocked, frightened to death of women yeah. for a long, long time. And, uh, I think this is what happens to a lot of women. It's like guys were just easier to be friends with because, yeah. you know, yeah, I uh, felt that way till most of my twenties really. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, so similar kinds of paths. And then, and then I was like, then I felt and I, when I actually got sisterhoods of, of friends who we were supporting each other. And I mean, no relationships were perfect, but it's, it's a, a foundation of supporting each other and understanding each other. Um, uh, and, you know, breaking down in tears <laughs> for one another and that being totally normal because it's a human ex- response. When I got that, it was such a nourishing different experience for me that it was uh it, it fed me in a way and it allowed me to to open up in a way that I didn't I didn't even think uh was necessarily possible um you you mentioned uh Ingo Macio's book Cunt uh a few times in your book that was one of my I think I read that when I was 21 or so uh it really like I remember when the day the night I finished it, it was like three in the morning and I found her email online which was that easy back then and yeah. I was like thank you for writing this book <laughs> Because um, there was so much in it, and you reminded me in your book um, how much I took from Kant and just put into my oh, life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I have so many notes on that book. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> if you saw the notes I have on your book, too, it's, uh, it's pretty good. But um, even the, in things like the supporting of women, like uh, just uh, for, for the most part, I only read books written by women for the most mm-hmm. part. For the most part, I only watch TV shows or movies with a uh, strong female lead. Uh, mm-hmm. or usually more than one. I do the, of course, the Bechdel test, which is, you know, mm-hmm. more than one woman and they speak mm-hmm. together about something other than a man, which is surprising how many movies don't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but it does really change your perspective though, doesn't it? Like, oh and you, don't, you don't realize it. I mean, I get so annoyed whenever they, I don't remember what month it is, but they always pass around that thing on Facebook, like your favorite books or whatever. And almost always they're all written by men. And yeah. I'm like, 10 out of 10. Yeah, why can't we, you know, I did it one year, I don't remember what year it was, but one year I said, please do your 10 favorite by women. Yeah. <laughs> or I think I did 15 or something, but, <laughs> but it didn't really catch on. Like everybody, I think, just thought I was like this angry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're just an angry woman, angry feminist. Oh, those feminists, you can never make them happy. Uh, <laughs> I, but there's, there's actually so much good literature by women, uh, actually. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life and never even get close to reading half of it. And totally. so, yeah, it's, it's sad. And uh, those old men don't need our money. Right. And, that, and that's another thing you put in your book is like, yeah. and that's when the, the supporting female businesses. So, um, and, and having my business, of course, uh, and, and Strong Women Co., I've got big dreams for it. Is, uh, is it just a women's empowerment brand? Even though I don't like the word brand, but like just like a multifaceted kind of thing. Like, because I'm like yourself where, you know, I got, I got programs. I got things on the writing. I, I, I sell empowerment jewelry, like all these different things. It's all about women's empowerment. Um, and, uh, Lost my train of thought. Think talking about the company then, uh, but um, oh yeah, giving money to. So I only. So this was so great about having your own business and working. You know, self-employed is you get to choose. Yeah. You know, like so I choose that I only work with women. You know, insurance agents and mm-hmm. uh, you know I'll I'll, I'll uh, seek out um, women's small businesses to make mm-hmm. things sometimes for my business, and it's it's really like that is a a priority and something that 
matters to me because we do we are voting with our money yeah. right like we've been already so privileged and you know um i think it's time that we level out the playing field and make it you know so women do have more opportunities and that doesn't just happen by itself i mean you can open a business a lot of businesses fail right off the bat so if they're not supported they're not going to do well yeah absolutely they need money <laughs> yeah yeah i think people forget that it's like we kind of live in la la land with with that it's like okay if you want to change the world you actually do need some sort of money or you know momentum mm. or, yeah, you, you talk about that too of like uh, feminists in particular, but um, I think women in general are expected to just do things out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah, and if you're not, you're judged for it. I mean, that happens a lot, especially with feminist work that, you yeah. know. Yeah, and, 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 and like thank, thank the goddess for all those women who do that work, but there, there, there has to be some kind of uh, compensation or we're just perpetuating the same norms. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I would really like to see all all work rewarded fairly and that women could support themselves and their family with, with, with work. Cause it is work and, and you know, it benefits all women. So I think it's kind of a strange idea that we shouldn't pay for this work and that women should just do it for free because that also means that very few women are able to do it. Women that have means that have, you know, some sort of other privilege and, and also then statistically speaking, you wipe out a, a lot of women of color, a lot of poor women, and then, you know, whose voices are we hearing? You know, only the privileged? Yep. yep. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it, it does take, you, you talked about the uh, wanting to potentially be unwokened, <laughs> go back to sleep. And uh, it just reminded me of the scene in The Matrix where you take the red, mm -hmm. blue, or the blue pill. Yeah. And uh, there's been many times, especially when I was my first, my awakening, my, my feminist awakening in my like late teens, um, I, I was like, oh, I wish I could go back. And now, like, even like, I'll, <laughs> All of the movies, like um, like Forty Year Old Virgin, I watched. It, like I was like, oh my god, like this is this is not consent. Like his the, the, one of his guys who was coaching him, the main character, uh, is like, you look for the drunkest girl in the group. If she doesn't have, if she has a shoe missing, all the better. It's like, oh my god, like this, this is he's telling you to date rape her. And I watched it, and I was a feminist and an activist feminist at the time, and I was like, oh, funny movie, yeah. you know. So it's kind of like. So many of the movies are so-called ruined now. I mean, like, Greece. Well, see, I have a little bit of different perspective on some of that, and I'm probably going to have a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I saw that movie, also knowing a little bit about Steve Carell, that they were kind of poking fun at that, that that was an idiot thing to think. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't come away thinking that they were at all endorsing that. Oh, that's not what I got from it. I, it, was, it was straight out endorsement, and, and I will tell you that uh, it is a very common behavior when I was thinking of that that guys would just do that right like that uh and at a bar and it was actually one of my I went to a bar sober and uh and looked That's around always interesting. and looked out the, at, at all the predator men around and I was like oh and I, I don't I don't I've hardly been to a bar since yeah because I was like holy because it was it was uh, it was internalized definitely why um, well even gosh I think it's been at least 15 or 20 years ago I had a a very good friend who worked in a very popular bar as a hostess and you know the story it that happens so often and now I think it happens even in more often that men are drugging women and I know that happens um, in Norway you're not really likely to be raped on the street but they have a big problem with um, underage drinking and boys that are raping girls that way and it's 
mapping to me because it's not always entirely looked upon as rape. It's like, oh, well, the girl drank too much. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's rape. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I'll have to rewatch that because I, I, maybe I was justifying it to myself, but I didn't, I didn't come across with it as an endorsement. I, I thought it was like they were making fun of that character, that he was an idiot and that that was his idea. Oh yeah, they were making fun, but I think their message was uh, was also still there. But yeah, the, the reality of uh, most sexual assaults aren't brought by strangers. That's that's mm -hmm. the world over, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it's by known, and it's often um, uh, it, it often alcohol related and mm -hmm. um, uh, other other kind of behavioral excuses. But I, and the whole um, when I was in uh, university, so aging myself now, I guess I was like first year university was uh, I don't know how old almost twenty years ago. Um, the date rape drug thing was extremely huge deal for us as young feminists and i remember i went to i was one of the main organizers for this giant like province-wide we got we had this pot of money that that, that had to be spent so we had this uh, feminist coalition meeting and so it was mostly ran by older white feminists and uh, i was the only young person on the um on the uh, the panel the, the organizing committee and uh, we had had these like breakout sessions where we wanted to brainstorm what were the issues that were you know mattered to us, mm -hmm. and uh, young women had put on you know, date rape drugs as as an issue, uh, and the older, uh, more experienced feminists weren't even writing it down mm -hmm. because it wasn't an issue for them. Yeah, I think it really well. I, I yeah, that's interesting because I think I'm a little bit older than you, but it didn't really factor in for me because I got married so young the first time and I was married to a Muslim so I wasn't really drinking and yeah I, I think though now it's just really become a huge 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 yeah well I mean like it, it's it's changed it's my behavior worse, yeah. I never ever yeah. leave a drink anywhere like yeah. anywhere um and uh not that i'm out partying much now not but, with a three-year-old three-year-old <laughs> i got sick of it a long time before that but but um yeah no it was and and uh you know even even in different kinds of um social settings uh yeah. because i have uh you know i have the majority of my friends have been a self in one yeah way well i've told uh my i've told many girls here this is my water bottle. If you really want to go out and drink, yeah. pour it in this yeah. with the lid on it and yeah. don't take it out of your hand. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's no. how bad it is. And, and that's, that's one of those things that like is an unspoken rule, right? We're talking about. And um, uh, your book has inspired me to do a couple of other things that I've already had kind of in the back port. Uh, and it's kind of like how to survive. <laughs> Mm. this crazy world as a woman and um there's just so many unspoken things like that like watch your drink you know and also like i call it woman's calculus of um uh women we kind of naturally uh learn of uh doing math and our own trigonometry in our head if we have to go outside and walk you know in a, in a parking lot or um, there's, there's a situation where I was walking my dog yesterday morning and there's a well-known sexual assaulter loose and the way the law system goes is he's out on uh, probation or whatever. And so I saw a man walking by himself and it was only him and I in the park. He looked like the guy on, uh, on, the, on the news channel. So of course then my stomach goes <gasps> like that fight or flight and I'm there with my dog and I look around we're the only people there. I mean, there's houses around, uh, but like, you know, and then, so I do my calculus of how fast can I run? Mm -hmm. Where can I, who, who will hear me if I scream? Mm -hmm. What weapon do I have if he grabs me? Right? Mm -hmm. Like there's like this constant kind of what's a safe distance between me and this, 
this, you know, random man who may have been just totally innocent, but, you know, we are primed because this is what uh, the patriarchy has done to us, mm -hmm. is uh, made us live on edge and constantly doing this woman calculus in her head of um, uh, how to stay, to stay alive. Yeah right? To, to survive. And there's one, that's one of those things that if you're a, a man, um, uh, you just, you just don't think about. No, you, you just don't, uh, you don't, um, have that kind of reality, uh, that you, that you need to do. Of course, that's privilege. And as white women, um, uh, we have a lot of things we don't have to think about and it's not until someone explains it to us, um, mm -hmm. that we got it. An example that comes to my head is, um, um, I didn't know that um, black mothers had to have that special conversation with their black children, particularly their, their um, sons. Um, uh, you know, if a cop stops you, which they will, uh, do whatever the cop says, even if it's humiliating, so that you come home to me, right? I didn't know that that was something that was very common because I didn't experience it. So, you know, it's kind of a point of um, listening to people who have less power in society mm -hmm. and seeing, hearing what their experiences are um, so that we can have a more accurate view of society and see what we need to change. And that's another reason I'm so fond of circles because assuming that they're including everybody, which hopefully they do, um, I think you can learn so much by sitting in circle with, with women and a variety of different women and from different places and um, I think we need a lot more of that and a lot more listening among women. And we need a lot more men to actually listen to women. Um, another book that I, I actually finished it after I'd um, written this, How to Live Well, but the, I don't know how to, I think it's Abby Wabash. I'm not sure if that's how you say her last name, but the um, U.S. soccer player, she wrote a great book. And um, I ended up making it several memes because I was really inspired by it. But she talks about how, women have to like live their whole lives based on nail uh, narratives and men need to, and cause she has it in the, like basically the introduction of her book. If you're a man, you should still be reading this book because like I've had to read books by men and about men my entire life. And it's time that men do the same about women. And I think, you know, I can see that even just with like um, my husband, for instance, has two older sisters and he's such a better man for it because he grew up with strong women, a strong mom, and like he can handle it if I freak out or whatever, you know. Um, I think, you know, just that ability to listen and empathize is really important. And most, well, I would say most men don't have it. I, I mean, it'd probably be more correct to say many, but that's been my experience. I think we just need a lot more listening by men yeah of yeah. course you can't force that but um. listening to anyone who's in a power position like that's that's, that's the reality because yeah. i mean we're certainly facing uh issues with white supremacy mm -hmm. and you know um anti-lbgt uh, and, and it, it's the power relations right mm -hmm. um that we need to examine and uh you know it, it, the reality is there's as people at the table um sometimes you need to make specific space and time to listen to make sure all those voices um, get heard. It reminds me actually of my uh, my master's in uh, gender studies, which what, reading your book really brought me back because you uh, <laughs> brought so many of the different feminist theorists up from Bell Hooks to uh, Dworkin to so, so other many ones. Um, and then that's one of my favorite things about your book is so, so you certainly seem like an academic of sorts where you're like pulling in and, and you had a lot of resources. Uh, is, is that how you see yourself? Is that academic? 
No, not really. Um, I I do. I always have thought that I would go back and, and uh, earn a PhD at some point, but I really haven't had time for it. And now I think I've shifted gears a little bit where I, I might go back and study psychology or something. At one point I thought about women's studies, but I think we're really lacking that. You know, I grew up in women's studies um, when I was in college, and I think those programs have changed a lot now, and they're not as uh, focused on like, I like the old school. I mean, of course, I like new things too, but I think there is a lot of wisdom that we um, have accumulated. And then, you know, for whatever reason, those people are not read as much anymore. So that's one of the things that I've tried to do is bring those women back kind of more into the forefront, because I know I learned a lot from them, and I think that a lot of those words are timeless. Hopefully, not timeless. Hopefully, we'll change a little bit. <laughs> at the moment, uh, I don't. I think that they're all all those writers. Um, there's not very much that you could say is irrelevant now. Yeah, sadly. So, um, which is yeah. I mean, that's horrible. But um, so I think we still need to keep reading them. Yeah. Um, there was I can't remember who it was. I think he was talking about a pastor though, but someone who said you know like. As the pastor, he gave the same sermon every single week. And the guy's like, well, when are you going to give a new sermon? And he's like, well, when people start <laughs> living this sermon and yeah. getting, you know. When you guys learn these lessons. Yeah. <laughs> <Sheesh>. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we do have a lot of lessons uh, to learn. But, you know, there, there is definitely a shift. I think we can feel in um, kind of... Uh, uh, in the, in the 70s or 80s, it might have been called conscious raising, kinds of uh, uh, conscious awareness. Um, so that, and I, and I look to younger women to tell you the truth, uh, and, and I see how empowered they are. And um, uh, I, I don't want to use younger women as a monolith, but you know, in comparative, they have different kinds of language, different kinds of um, expectations, concepts for the most part, in just what uh, mainstream um, uh, media will allow for them. I mean, there's still these extremely rigid roles like oh my goodness the the Disney princesses are driving me insane because my little girl loves them oh yeah and every book ends with married so yeah. like she's always playing and I you know this is not the end of the world but she's always playing getting married <laughs> you know what I used to do with my daughter that was fun for me because I don't know you're probably about this phase now but I read to my kids a lot probably at least 20 books a, a night and it was always kind of the same ones over and over. But and then you get so tired of them. And some of the children's books are just terrible. And of course, there's so many fairy tales and so many Barbie and da da da. If you have a girl, and not even buying them, people just heap them on you. Totally, yes. everywhere. You know, it's same with Barbie dolls. I, I threw away like thirty Barbie dolls. I mean, recycled them. I I didn't want them in my house, but it didn't matter. Then my daughter just got more. She loves them. She still loves them. So I mean, she's she likes them. What can you do? Um, but with the books, I finally started changing the stories and making them into lesbians and yeah. coming up with all these. And my, finally, my dad was like, Mom, that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah. No, but then I, things would disappear. That was, that's always been my thing with my kids because I try not to control them too much. I try to let them have their own thoughts on things. But things would just magically disappear for a while. <laughs> and then if they really, really wanted it and really asked then I would like maybe find it. But a lot of times they didn't, they just kind of forget about it. Just slowly pull yeah. it away. Uh, yeah, no, I was thinking of one um, stone soup. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, mm. this is this book where, you know, they, they these little uh, characters trick everybody into 
making soup for everyone, heaven forbid. Um, but, uh, and in the book, it's like the mayor's wife and the butcher's wife. And so like, when I read it, it's like the mayor, yeah. the butcher. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, it's like, why is this? Women, women are more than just wives. And actually, I just, I, I just consulted on a book of a, a local famous author here who was doing his first book as a, a, a female protagonist. And that was one of my, my the, the first line was like a fisherman and his wife. And I was like, right off the bat, buddy. <laughs> I see. And his wife is like, no, you could say two people who fished. You could say two fisher people. It's like, she's much more than just a fisherman's wife. And yeah. he, he received it uh, really well. But I think this is kind of like what we're talking about in, in how in the raising consciousness and pushing, this is our resistance, right? And what's so cool about being a mother or, or dealing with children or other people is this act of resistance. You know, uh, I almost call it uh, sometimes I'll, like there's alpha feminist things which is like you know you're protesting you're you're you know you're outspoken you're the alpha but there's also these beta feminist things that not everybody is the outspoken you know i know uh, so many of my clients and other friends who are uh, feminist and feminist scientists and all these things and don't feel comfortable you know uh, posting things like you and I would do like easily, but you can see the micro changes that they're causing too. Um, and I feel like that's where, you know, we need to all feminists, all women support each other through these change and including, you know, uh, uh, men and, and, and uh, non-identifying folks, like anyone who's like moving us forward is like, excellent. Thank you. Well, I think there's a lot more movement than we even realize. And I, I've had people that thought I was nuts when I started all this and like I in some cases like didn't even want me to be around their wives or whatever else because I was a bad influence I, I get that a lot too they've changed their now some of them are feminists themselves and are like sending me feminist posts so in case I didn't see them and and uh you know people that I I'm not a person who isn't friends with someone because we disagree politically or religiously I have friends from way back when from my private Christian elementary school and Muslim friends and whatever, you know, I, so, and I think the value in that is that people see you change and then they can also change. And also like when I went through my divorce, I've had women say, you gave me the strength to leave my relationship because you were open about it because a lot of women are in really bad abusive um, relationships. I mean, I, I, I think a lot more than we even realize and because we don't, we don't want to talk about it. You know, there's so much shame still. So I think if you are able to be open, I definitely see the ripples of change that come from that, even if maybe they don't come all at once and you're a bit <laughs> crazy in the beginning, but yeah. Well, I think that's what happens when you are a trendsetter, like when you are um, cutting edge. Uh, if you are a person that's not going to just go ahead with the status quo, that means you're going to meet resistance, right? And that's one of the things I had to remind myself is when I do, because a lot of the things, I mean, you're cutting edge and I bow down to uh, the, the path that you've set out. And just like seeing the Girl God book was probably one of the first like uh, uh, concepts like that that I'd seen um, because I did my master's in, 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 in it was actually called women's studies when I did it and um, we didn't do a single course on women's spirituality not oh, a single yeah. mention nothing yeah I think it's really sad that a lot of feminism is divorced from spirituality and I think that's a mistake because it feels patriarchal do you know what I mean oh, yeah. and also because religion is like one of the hardest things to break through. I think like it's, it's really, and we have a reprogramming toolbox as well. And we do a lot with uh, religion in that because it's like, 
It is. It's like a sort of brainwashing if you're, especially if you're in these very fundamentalist um, churches that you literally have to work like you're almost like a, you've been kidnapped and imprisoned or something and brainwashed and like to get yourself out of this mentality and all the, you know, I mean, like someone like me that spent, you know, probably 20 hours a week reading the Bible and going to church and all these things, like you have to actually actively work to change your brain <laughs> after all that because mm -hmm. still, and uh, I know Carol has a good quote about this too, but you, I think it's in the book, actually, you revert to these these things whenever you have a um, a hard time in your life, whether you want to or not, that's the first thing you go to is like a Bible verse or a hymn. And, you know, I still do that sometimes. And I haven't read the Bible for like 20 years. So uh, very, it's very deep. It's very deep yeah. entrenched. In yeah, our well, when you memorize things, especially, which, you know, of course, songs are, are get in there, I think even better, because you don't even have to work at memorizing them. Like when you memorize the Bible, you're really working at it. And it's not really fun <laughs> to memorize the Bible. <laughs> Yeah, really, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, once it's in there, it's usually in pretty good. <laughs> uh, you, you just reminded me of uh, probably the first time I questioned this whole gendered God thing. I was in grade eight, and I did a, uh, a project on it. And I thought, I was like, how ridiculous is it that we're calling God he? Right? Like, and I, I look back on that little feisty girl, and I was so <laughs> smart. I never questioned it at that age. I, I never, it, until I think, uh, yeah, college at least, but yeah. yeah. But I was raised Anglican, which is like, you know, pretty abortion's fine, divorce oh, okay. is fine, you know. Progressive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have female uh, uh, ministers, but at the same time, we still, there was still a lot of, and it's like, you know, he sits on it, his father, and, and also yeah. the different kind of energy with the word father versus mother. Mm -hmm. So like a father god in, in the patriarchy, and uh, we, we have to wrap it up, but I don't want to, now I want to go through all this, but the father god has a different kind of energy, and it's very kind of like a patriarchal, like judgment and do this, and blah, 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 and then the whole mother goddess piece um, uh, is, is, has a different kind of energy around it, and um, uh, it's, I, I find it's much more nourishing to my soul, and it's something that I can accept better, even though I have an extremely complicated relationship with my mother, and there's a big wound that, you know, mm -hmm. we have to uh, heal in this life or another. But that um, it, it's it's something it's something new and old at the same time. And like I, I suppose we can kind of uh, close on this um, uh, with all the work you've done, uh, and you've done uh, so much good work. And thank you for that work. Uh, uh, it's like a pebble in a stone, right? You just never know. You mentioned the ripples. You just you just never know. Um, but uh, with the work that you you've done and um, moving, seeing more and more people being able to open up to the idea of a, a divine being, the creator being potentially, you know, not male, mm -hmm. and maybe even female. Of course, then allows us to to maybe see ourselves in creators, which of course is what we are. Like that's yeah. one of the one of my biggest things was when I was <laughs> when I was pregnant is when yeah, my is biggest obvious. <laughs> well, and and I felt lateral to God. Uh -huh. because I was also a creator. Thank yeah. you. You know, and uh, uh, that was like extremely uh, huge for me. But I guess, where do you, where do you see us going with that? What, what benefit do you see just to leave uh, our listeners on some kind of uh, empowered kind of uh, positive note um, or where you would like us to, to see us go? Well, I, I definitely think that we've made progress in, since I started working on this, I guess about seven years ago, but um, 
I guess by, I would caution that we don't want to get cocky and think that we've accomplished too much and, and loosen up because I do think we have a long way to go. And I think um, how we view God, I think, um, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's another Sonia Johnson, who's another, she's a, she was a LSD Mormon um, woman at one point and became a radical feminist. But she said, uh, I think the quote is, Every, how we view God has everything to do with changing the world. And I think until we kind of shift back into more of the feminine energy and restore the balance, we're not going to save Mother Earth, which I think we're at a pretty critical time with, with that as well. And we're not going to, you know, stop wars and save humanity. Like we can't really keep going on the path we're going at. So I feel like it's, it's critical right now that we really look at our own lives and look at the collective and see like, okay, what can I do? You know, because everybody can do something whether it's just work on themselves or doing more and a lot of people can do more so i would say whatever you can do do that yeah yeah and uh, start small and build and build on that and mm -hmm. uh you talked about uh saving mother earth and um really it's kind of more about saving ourselves because mother earth will always uh continue on um uh even with after the abuses that we've done but that's exactly why i started my company strong women co was um uh I, I we've only got what 50 years maybe of doing what we're doing now and and you know uh treating the earth like we've got plenty to go through and uh one of the biggest things that we can do to save our environment and our you know sisters and brother animals and each other and all this is have more women in decision-making bodies yeah and that is that is all that is not a opinion that is that is a research uh, mm -hmm. data that um, <laughs> more women that are on you know city councils or corporate boards or ptas or where women that are leadership leaders in their families uh the more holistic uh the more sustainable the more child-centered family-centered um uh future-centered uh, decisions occur. So that's why my, my whole reason, my raison d'etre for, for existing is to help women become more empowered so that they can speak up, speak out, so they can run for office if they want to, or go for that promotion or change their jobs. But I really sincerely believe that that is what uh, the divine feminine rising in us and is also happening and occurring to men, you know, thank mm -hmm. the goddess. Um, that's where we need to go is um, empowering each other, supporting each other, so we can make these, these fundamental changes that we need to make. Um, the ice caps are already melting at a, a extremely dangerous rate and, and everything that goes with that. Um, so we have to do what we can do um, to empower each other. And to, to our listeners out there, I would encourage yourself uh, to do the things to build your confidence. Um, it, and it could be little, little speaks out, little, and sometimes build your confidence, you need to recharge your batteries, but to be your strong self and to go out and to, you know, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, it's like, speak up even if your voice shakes. Mm -hmm right? Because that's what we need. That's what we need to survive. That's what we need to have a world for our children and our children's children is more women speaking up more. And, uh, and it's, it's getting, it'll get to a point where they just can't not listen to us. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's important for women individually to be strong so that we can become strong collectively. So we can speak up because so many women are so oppressed and tired and sick and, you know, all these things. Uh, and that's, the goal of, you know, capitalist patriarchy is to make women so they can't fight back. So if you can, anything you can do to make yourself stronger is an investment in the whole world, I think. Yeah, exactly. And everything you do to heal yourself, 
you heal mm -hmm. the world. It's one of the things was uh, there is no world peace without inner peace, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So these are the things. So amazing book, uh, How to Live Well Despite Capitalist Patriarchy. I never got into, I don't know, 10% of the amazing things I wanted to talk about, but I kind of expected that. Everything from um, the thrift store buy, that's totally me, to, uh, you know, uh, appreciating, honoring your moon cycle, join a women's circle, um, uh, raise your standards, <laughs> ladies, um, <laughs> the addicted to drama thing. <laughs> that's, that's the title of one of my books is Raise Your Standards. Uh, yes, yeah. And um, yeah, uh, and, and the whole feminist parenting thing. I, I really wanted to talk to you about that, but maybe another time, Trista, because uh, I, I feel like we, we just, we're just doing our own things, but there, there's so much connected, and, and it just feels wonderful to be in this web with you of, um, here, Kelly. Of, of producing and doing and showing up and um, yeah, just, just showing other people what we can do. So thanks so much, Trista. Thank uh, you so I'm, much for having me. I'm going to put the, when I do my promotion for this podcast, there is an opportunity where people can win. Uh, I'm going to give away two of your books. So that mm. will go out into the world as well. Um, but uh, this is one book that has uh, oodles and oodles of awesome information. Thank you so much for committing to doing it. Thank you for uh, producing it uh, and publishing it. And um, I look forward to every other thing that you have on the go. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been a pleasure. Ah, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.